0: This week, dark history at its best at a wonder of the world. This show is all about the daredevils of Niagara Falls. Now if you're familiar with the show and what I've talked about in the past, you'll know that I'm from, originally, the city of Hamilton. That is kind of like my mainstay. You know the stories, the tours I lead there, the information I've gathered over the years. So Hamilton's uh, is my, is my home; it's where I was born and raised. But Niagara and Niagara Falls has always been, kind of been second on my list. You know, for me personally, just seeing the amount of the amount of history, especially in relation to the War of 1812, it, it's always fascinated me. And then considering the violence that occurred in the past. In the Niagara region, I mean, there's no doubt uh, one of the main tours that uh, that we run is Niagara-on-the-Lake. And I do consider it 100% Canada's most haunted town. Now you're saying, oh, I, I don't agree with you on that. I, I had a previous show where I just kind of explained it in detail. I, I backed up my words. I, I came with receipts as the kids stay today. <laughs> but Niagara, Niagara always caught my attention i always loved it lots of great little historic towns lots of places if you go for a road trip in the niagara region ton of fun uh, lots lots to explore and uh, i'm i'm going to focus on the falls today but that entire region anywhere along the borderline you're going to have some type of history you know all the way down to fort erie all the way up to niagara on the lake because it's so close to the american side During the War of 1812, when the Americans came over, you know, these are the areas that they focused on. And considering that southern Ontario, Ontario in general, used to be called Upper Canada back in the day, this is where the British originally settled. If you don't know, as a side note, the French were here before the British. They arrived much longer, like over a hundred years before the British did. But then you have the Loyalists. Uh, which was spurred by the american revolution so loyalist is a simple term just meant british folks who didn't want to be away from the british crown they stayed loyal to it so they were known as loyalists and during the american revolution with all the paranoia and violence that was going on anyone who was even considered to potentially be a loyalist found their lives in danger for that reason the British Empire said that if you, if you come up to this new settlement we're calling Upper Canada, which, like I said, is Ontario today, the province, that will give you free land. So many loyalists from the United States brought their families up to escape the violence, to escape the persecution, quote-unquote, and they were given places to settle. So many of the original loyalist towns such as you've heard, well, Niagara on the Lake, which used to be called Niagara or Newark. You had uh, Kingston, which was the largest town of the time. Kingston was on par to be the Canadian capital, but instead they chose Ottawa for some reason. I guess it was just the space, the location being right beside the Quebec border. Maybe that was the reason, I don't know. But Kingston was the biggest and most historic for the british empire in ontario so kingston niagara on the lake um ancaster which is now part of hamilton these were all loyalist towns settled by loyalists so many of them they just came over they just settled their land they made a farm they were happy doing that but some of them went a step further and i'm sure the english also came in and assisted their efforts because they wanted to build up their society as quick as possible, is is my assumption. I'm just using logic here. So this is the reason why. I mean, the Loyalists come over. Uh, Niagara is the first stop on the trail before they go to their next stop. I'm sure they received guidance of where the free land was available, and they can go off and build their house and try and farm that land. But Niagara was the original spot, so a lot of the original loyalists coming over, let's just say, into Niagara on the Lake, this is where they they stayed. Uh, so you do have some history that dates back longer than anywhere else in Ontario in Niagara on the Lake, going back to you know, I guess the early seventeen hundreds, definitely the mid seventeen hundreds, that a town had been established at that point. And of course, all that I'm mentioning—I mean, this is long before Niagara Falls, great segue—was ever considered a tourist destination. You know, now today it is one of the top tourist destinations in the world because of this natural beauty. But back in those days, it was just—well, it was the—it was the Grand Falls. Uh, the natives, you know, almost uh, likened it to a god of thunder. Because of the sounds that it made the, the original explorers, they wondered what that noise was. So they come to land, they hadn't seen Niagara Falls yet, but they could hear it. I find that absolutely fascinating. So it's this massive falls and it's just the sound would reverberate for kilometers and miles all around. So those who hadn't seen it yet would be like, what's that noise? They'd just be constant. So when they saw it, they were absolutely amazed. So the lure of the falls has been a thing for generations going back what two three hundred years uh from the natives i know there's no real recorded history in relation to them but i'm sure the lure of the falls was for them as well i don't think they feared it i think they revered it and some of the history I'll, i'll talk about today might touch on those points And this is the reason why I'm doing this episode Is just to kind of show How it's the lure of the falls And I guess the danger Associated with it To have this just natural want To get close to it Have you guys been there? Have you guys visited Niagara Falls? If you're from the area Chances are you have There's a real mystery to it It's just um, It's very interesting This is why they can introduce A weird experience of going under the falls like through the caves that are located have you ever done this i think they call it a journey journey into the falls or something (laughs) it's not it's not a journey it's a walk down a hallway so they charge i forget how much it was but it's a decent amount they charge a decent amount and you just go down some stairs in an elevator and then you walk down a tunnel and it goes right behind so it's just a wall of of falling water that's I mean, it's a good one-time experience, but I can't see anybody doing it multiple times. I assume they're just catering to those who are coming from other countries or anything. They want to walk away with an experience, not the best experience. I know it's a historic attraction; it's been there for a very long time. I'm just, I don't know what they can add to to kind of add to it, but it's 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 really not. It, I found myself lacking, like feeling that that sense of lack. When I was doing this experience in comparison to the, the ticket price. But uh, don't take it from me. I'm a cheap fella. Ask my wife. But uh, some people, they might love this, the journey behind the falls. I am not one of them. I thought it was okay. But, I mean, that's that's the lure, right? People want to get as close to the falls as possible. And this is what leads into the main subject of the episode this week. And that's the daredevils that have gone over the falls. But first, I I just want you to understand a bit of the history in relation to how it was discovered, as in the non-native explorers who had come into the country. Uh, One of the main explorers was a fellow named uh, Samuel de Champlain. Uh, He's he's very well known for Canada, definitely for Canada. He is considered the father of New France. He is the guy who considered founded Quebec and is going back to 1608. Again, this is before the British ever came and called this land home. So he comes and he's considered the first outsider, so non-native, to behold the Niagara Falls. Uh, his, His quote is a little underwhelming. He called it the spectacular waterfalls. This happened in the early 1600s. Uh, around the same time, again, he was founding Quebec, which, aka, they called New France. Now, he's not the only fellow. You know, that Obviously, we would hopefully have some more descriptive writers who would come out and see the falls, who could describe it to the rest of the world. And surprisingly, it would be in the 1700s that uh, it's not a name that you've ever heard of, unless you're really into naturalists. This is a Swedish naturalist named Pierre Kalm. In the 1700s, he then wrote out a more descriptive version. He went and saw the falls. So this is what uh, tourism of the falls equaled back then is you know, one person every hundred years or so. But uh, he did a description here. So I'll read it to you. And by the sounds of it, I mean, he doesn't sound overly impressed by the falls. I think many people would disagree today, but I don't know what this guy was seeing in Sweden. So again, this is Pierre, Pierre Calm from the 1700s. Quote, I doubt, I'm not going to do a Swedish accent, by the way, I doubt not, but have a desire to learn the exact height of the great fall, 600 feet perpendicular. Those who have measured it with mathematical instruments find the perpendicular fall of the water to be exactly 137 feet. You may remember to what great distance the noise of this fall may be heard. This is Daniel. Uh, this is what I was mentioning before that the 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 quote was that it could be heard from far around, and many many I guess like including this guy who comes over. He's this is what he's expecting to have it like overwhelmingly loud, not just like a, when I when I thought when I when I heard that originally about them hearing it in the disc, I just assumed it was a light, like buzzing. Like, you would hear it and be like, hey, what the heck is that? I don't know, I guess this guy assumed that it'd be so loud that it would burst your eardrums or something. Because this is he continues to say, uh, quote, all the gentlemen who were with me, they agreed that the farthest one can hear it is 15 leagues. Uh, side note, 15 leagues is about 84 kilometers, give or take. Quote, sometimes tis said... The fall makes much greater noise than at other times. When I was there, it did not make an extraordinary great noise. Just by the fall, we could easily hear what each other said, without speaking much louder than the common when conversing in other places. I do not know how others found it so great a noise here. Perhaps it was at certain times, as above mentioned." Now wouldn't you say if that if that uh, was put on, on on Google reviews that it would probably be what like a three point five at a five or something? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it would have been a, a highly amazing review. Kind of like the review I just gave Journey at the Falls. It is not like the historic folks said about being a journey. <laughs> It was simply a walk down a hallway with some water splashing in your face. I am basically this guy. I am a dirty complainer from the 1700s. Anyway, at least he had a description. At least he, he created <laughs> a beautiful mental image of what Niagara Falls could be and underwhelmed by the noise. I guess he expected it to to blow his face off, you know, like uh, rock and roll music or something, but it, it wasn't. So anyway, uh, since then, since the 1700s, Niagara Falls has been the, the talk of the town. It is definitely one of the top tourist sites in the world. Still home to millions of visitors over the years and a wonderful place to go if you're looking for a, a trip and you're not from this area. Even if you're from this area, it's definitely worth worth going. Now, one thing I, I looked up before I get into the Daredevils was uh, I was conv- uh, interested in where the term have you you heard the term made of the mist now i thought that the canadian side our boats were called this i don't know if at one time it was the boats on our side are called what city experience or something which doesn't even make sense because it's falls you're looking at should be falls experience if anything so made of the mist i thought was a great name i didn't realize that it's just the boats on the american side that were called the made of the mist so they know what they're talking about and when i when i hear that i'm like intrigued. When I hear city experiences, I am definitely not intrigued. So uh, considering the Maid of the Mist is a historic term, it actually turns out it comes from, I believe, a native legend. So a beautiful maiden, is said, lost her husband, her true love, and with it she lost all her hope. And it said that she would paddle her canoe out on the river, uh, singing songs of death softly to herself and one day, the canoe was caught by a current, and it was pushed towards the falls. Coming towards the end, just from the top of the falls, she was pitched over the side and definitely would have fell to her death if not for the god of thunder, who they called uh, Hino or Heno, uh, they said, lived inside the falls. So Heno caught the maiden, and together with his sons, they helped the girl overcome her grief. When she was healed, the youngest of the sons would profess his love to the girl, and soon they were married. A son was born to this couple, so it would be half human, half god. Now the maiden's only regret was not seeing her people again. It's talking about the natives. Uh, Looking up the the Heno, the uh, thunder god, the affiliation looks like it's with Iroquois, according to this website here. So she wanted to return to her people, if only for a moment. Uh, now she's in the world of the gods. Uh, a chance like this would come with uh, threats, though. A great serpent wouldn't allow it. Uh, so the serpent, when she tried to do this, serpent poisoned the waters of her people and made them sick, and they were dying. Now, it planned to return, the serpent did when the people were dead to devour their bodies. Now Heno told the maiden about what was happening to her people, and she begged him. To allow her to return to warn them about the water and he agreed so she returned she warned them and when the serpent returned the next day her people had moved on to a safe and secret place so the serpent was foiled but he, he went up the river he's searching for bodies he's hissing in rage and Heno he heard it and rose from the midst of the falls to strike down the serpent with a bolt of lightning and did and the serpent's body floated To the edge of the falls and it was lodged into the rock causing gushes of water to be diverted over the precipice flooding heno's home now heno his sons and the maiden they fled niagara falls settling in the sky since that day the thunder is heard in the crowd the clouds now echoes in the falls where heno once lived and this is the legend of the maiden of the mist also i guess you consider it a native legend for the origins of niagara falls so the daredevils now this is what you've all come here to hear about this is something that has been talked about i mean it's it's a part of comedy you're making fun of going over the falls in a barrel i assume this comes back to older times because that's the time that it was most thought about so you had your potential daredevils. They were coming in in the 1800s, late 1800s into the early 1900s, and up through there. Uh, this would be before it was obviously stopped. I don't know if people got smarter. They didn't. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but they did. They stopped. There's no, no, nobody recently going over the falls. Actually, I'll find out who the last person was. Okay, holy crap. I just looked it up. Uh, There's a Wikipedia page that lists... Everybody who's gone over the falls, and I'm like looking, looking, oh, maybe 1950s is the most. No, and I don't know if, like, they're not accidents as far as I can see. No, okay, some are accidents. So I'll say the last person who purposely went over the falls was an American, on the American side, a fellow named Kirk Jones. So Jones went over the falls unprotected on October 22nd, 2003, Okay, okay. No, no. Uh, so Kirk survived the 2003 incident. He, the inflatable ball worked, I guess. And he was fined $2,300 and banned for life from entering Canada. So then um, he, he said he wasn't going over for fun, that it was a suicide attempt. <laughs> So I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh at the, the, that term, but I'm just saying that uh, it's interesting that the lengths they would go is not to get fined. Of course, he still got fined and punished. And then in 2017, just to show you that it wasn't a one-off, he tried again and it did not work. So I guess it was another inflatable ball. He went over and the empty ball was picked up by the maid of the mist, the boat, And his body was recovered near Lake Ontario. So he had floated quite far, actually. I guess the rapids took him to Lake Ontario. Uh, This was done in April in 2017. His body was found in June. So months later in 2017. So you can see, I mean, the daredevilness of folks hasn't changed over the years. I'm going to talk about what is considered the more historic, definitely the most famous. Uh, First one I obviously want to start with is the first person. And here we go for the women's pride. It was a woman. It was a woman. She was the first person to ever attempt to go over the falls. It was a woman named uh, Annie Edson Taylor. So she was a teacher from Michigan. Uh, She attempted to go over the falls in a barrel in October of 1901. So she would be considered the first official, uh, right at the turn of the century. So that's a good way to look it up. So how it works is she sets it up, and I guess at this point it wasn't fully. I, 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 they must have frowned on it, but it wasn't banned. It wasn't against the law, so she could have people kind of monitoring to see, you know, to see if she would survive. And it was all set up. The daredevil act. I guess the life wasn't as precious back then as it is today so they set it up they monitored it she's put in a barrel she's put at the top of the falls they send her off she goes towards she goes over the edge and as she's coming down it says that the barrel then like hit and, and caught on a rock so a rock comes through the bottom of the barrel and then it tips and she disappears behind the water so the men at the bottom there they they row out as fast as they can to to try and help her thinking that she's dead i mean after it hits a rock you just assume but she was alive what they see is a small hand sticking out uh they they get to the barrel which is broken apart they pull her up she's bruised and ble- bleeding but she's she's breathing she's alive and here's what she said first thing that comes out of her mouth when they pulled her out of the water uh, quote i prayed every second except after the fall i, I think i was unconscious she told the men and then she lapsed she must have hit her head or something because then she asked "Uh, did i go over the falls yet she she didn't know she forgot where she was now many uh tried to find out what her mental reasoning for this was uh why why annie did it and they said in the end it is believed i don't know how proven this is but that uh, she was penniless at the time uh, not making money off of being a teacher for whatever reason. And she wanted the fame and fortune that would come from surviving the falls. So she really is a pioneer when you think about it. I mean, she's thinking about what's the best way to become infamous or famous in the world. Uh, pick the most famous tourist attraction, one of the most dangerous and alluring things in your region, you know, being from Michigan, it's not too, too far away, and, and go over it. You know, become a survivor and this is this you know I, I what proves this is what she wanted to do is what she did after the fact so then she called herself the queen of the mist this is a term she gave for herself and then she started going on tour She'd go on tour she'd sell out like auditoriums or rooms uh, she would stand there she would talk about the experience of going over the falls but here's the problem she wasn't interesting that's the thing when you're when you're public speaking there's a certain way that you have to be if you're not excited about what you're talking about or if you're nervous, which leads to being tense in front of an audience, uh, people are going to pick up on this. So there's certain nights when I'm leading the tours that I'm tense and I, I don't really connect well with the audience. This is going back years. I've been much better with that <laughs> over the last few years. But if, if you have that tension, you, you it affects your voice. So you're not as excited about what you're talking about and things come out more monotone, you're not reacting to the emotions and the stories that you're talking, you're talking a little bit too quick, or you're talking a little bit too slow, you're pausing at weird times, it's not a natural flow to what you're saying, etc, etc, etc. So my guess is if they were calling her boring, and they said, quote, she talked like a scientist, my guess is she was talking a little slow, I assume that didn't flow very well so she toured like this for a while but eventually if it was the internet age she would have been done after about two shows there would have been google reviews (laughs) this lady is so boring etc etc i don't know how she survived the falls uh but in this case it takes a little bit longer finally the word starts spreading and nobody's showing up to her shows so eventually she just gave up she returned to niagara falls she lived in new york like on the american side She was an American at that time. So she wanted to be close to the falls, no longer in Michigan. I guess maybe she thought there was still some money to be made, but it didn't work out for her. So only 20 years after her daredevil act, which crazy enough, she was in her 60s when she did this. Actually, you know what? Now that I I didn't even really think about that, I've been researching her for a while and I didn't even think about it. She was 63. 63. I'm pretty sure 63 years old uh, when she did this. And I have more respect for just the fact that she would like most people, they're like getting ready to retire back then. Definitely retires like in their sixties. Last thing you're going to do is go over the falls. You know, she, she needed this, I guess this fame, Uh, but she goes over in her sixties and she lived exactly 20 years after that and died in 1921. She was technically 82, I assume about to turn 83 uh, when she died, living in Niagara Falls, New York. And if anybody knows where Oakwood Cemetery is, that's where she buried today. Uh, I'm looking at the stone ray. It's a very uh, simple stone there, and Annie Edson Taylor. And it says right under that, carved in first to go over the horseshoe fall in a barrel. There you go. So she started what would uh, turn out to be something that many others would want to do. Now, I don't understand the mindset of this. I personally would never do something like that. Would you? Uh, if you? If you would, come to the Facebook discussion page. Shameless plug, Gigi Daniel Podcast on Facebook. Come there and post and tell me you would do it. Tell me you would risk your life for fame and fortune and that you'd be a much better public speaker <laughs> than Annie if, if you did. So, I mean, what she did kind of opened up the world i don't know if anybody did immediately try and go over the falls after her yeah it looks like it was maybe 10 years so it was about a decade before a circus performer named bobby leach i don't have too many details but this fellow he was with the barnum and bailey circus and he went over the falls in a metal barrel and he he survived uh spent six months in a hospital because he had two broken kneecaps and a fractured jaw but he survived uh, but the next one I want to mention is a fellow named Charles Stevens. You'll know why in a second as a, a very brutal way to go. and this this is the first one who did not survive, who chose. I mean, there was others who mistakenly fell and went over the falls, but who chose an attempt to beat the falls. So years 1920, this fellow was a barber. Uh, he was uh, from England. And he got a reputation over the years as being an amateur daredevil. And when he decided that he was going to go over the falls in the barrel, I mean, the authorities, they tried to stop him. So, you know, you can see that, I guess, after Annie, some people went over by mistake and they died. You know, they knew how dangerous this would be. So they were trying to stop him. So he had to do this in secret. But he needed witnesses. I mean, he needed people there to, to try and help him afterwards. So he brought some witnesses, uh, I assume in the evening time, most likely against the wishes of his family, which included his wife named Annie, coincidence, and 11 children. Now, he had been supporting them by being a daredevil, but I assume that they they definitely did not want this. 11 children, I mean, he can go do something else, work in a factory or something. This is a stupid way to make a living, hands down, as you'll hear the reason why in a moment. So... He sets it up with his witnesses. He has this weird little tube shaped barrel that has like kind of like a like you know the 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 boat doors with the wheel on it that seals the lock on the front. I mean it looks looks like to me it, it probably could make it. It's probably better than Annie's barrel. But it did not. So he goes over the edge uh, eventually like he he disappears behind the water. They will eventually find his broken barrel, but they don't find Charles so how do they know he's dead maybe he's just missing and pop up somewhere else or his body is lost to the deep nope they found some evidence you know they found a severed arm might be thinking oh this severed arm it could belong to anybody it could be a severed arm of somebody else but no there was a tattoo on it so the fact that charles had a tattoo on his severed arm that was found in the water is the reason why they were able to ID it and they knew for a fact That Charles Stevens was dead. So in 1920, he goes over the side and he dies. Uh, Funny little side note, he's actually buried in Drummond Hill Cemetery, which is, you know, they say all they recovered was his arm. Yes, they just buried the arm. And that's in Drummond Hill, which is a haunted cemetery I've talked many times about before. And the most important thing, 74 years after his death in 1994, he received an award. You're thinking, what would they reward him for? The Darwin Award. If you don't know what a Darwin Award is, it is a uh, quote-unquote tongue-in-cheek honor that is basically created by the internet, given to what they consider to be some of the stupidest, stupidest people who ever lived, and 74 years after his death, he received this. next person is in 1930. I don't know it was with these uh, one decades. It seems like a decade after a time, people were going over the falls like of note. And that's what happened with a fellow named George Stackus. There was a fellow before him named Gene Lussier uh, who went over and survived, went over the Horseshoe Falls. George also went over the Horseshoe Falls. So George Stackus, obviously a Greek fella, uh, 1930 is when he decided to do it. He was a chef from the city of Buffalo, and his dream, get this, was to publish mystical books. You know, the what is, you know, mystical, like uh, Wiccan religion, like spells, of the occult, stuff like that. That was his dream to do it for some reason. And he thought if he did this stunt that it would make him famous. So, kind of like Annie Taylor did, he was like thinking if I have some fame, I can ride that and I can sell my books, everybody would want to hear from me. What he doesn't realize that in 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 business or in branding uh you when you're trying to put forth something that you're an expert in uh, going over the falls is unrelated to mystical books just because he's famous for that he might sell a few books but it's not going to put him on the map when it comes to quote unquote mystical books i know back then in the the spiritual movement was at its height there was people, including the Ackroyd family. little side note, if you don't know, Dan Ackroyd, the actor, Canadian fella, his family was very much into the spiritualist movement. His brother wrote quote-unquote ghost mystical books, uh, Peter Ackroyd. Uh, so anyway, it, going over the falls is not a connected thing. I don't think it would have worked anyway, but he never really thought this through. So in uh, 1930, he set this up, but he wasn't going to go alone. Here's a man who uh, relied on his friends. And the only friend that would agree to go with him (laughs) on this journey was a turtle. So George had a pet turtle, his name, Sunny Boy. And he took Sunny Boy with him. You're like, why would he do that? I mean, it's so dangerous. Remember, Sunny Boy's a turtle. We're dealing with water. He's probably going to be okay. Uh, So what happens is the barrel goes over the side it goes down and just like annie it hits the rock but instead of knocking off the rock like flipping around or something it stayed so the rock just goes right through the wood at the bottom of the barrel and sticks it there so it's stuck there getting pelted by the falls you know how powerful the falls are if you're not look up the video and you'll see it's just getting pelted by the falls for about 22 hours of this powerful water just hitting just knocking the wood apart and finally it gave way of course the the people watching this in horror there's nothing they can do they just sit down there and just watch it occur i don't know how long i I'm, I'm assume not everybody stayed watching it for 22 hours just waiting for it to loosen they can't go it's not like they had the machinery to go to knock it over or something they'd they'd be putting themselves at risk so they let it they let it happen so eventually it gives way, uh falls to the bottom they row over as fast as they can to retrieve the barrel uh, they open the top and they find George is still inside, but he's obviously dead. He had long since drowned, the water filled up, he couldn't breathe. But then you're thinking, what about the turtle? Well, this is a uh, water-related death, so what do you think? The turtle was alive. The turtle, Sunny Boy, survives the attempt. He is now considered, uh, with Annie, one of the survivors who had gone over the falls in the barrel. Unfortunately, his... Uh, his owner, his, his dad, did not survive, uh, but Sonny Boy did. And because he survived going over the falls in the barrel, unlike Annie, Sonny Boy became famous. He toured all over North America. Just think about this for a second. So Annie tours over North America, and because she's boring in what she's saying, nobody wants to see her. But a turtle tours who can't talk. I don't think Sonny Boy could talk could he talk that'd be awesome if you could. No, he can't talk he just sits there looking at people they're looking at him and he's a success makes tons of money now, if not him whoever his handler was i'm sure made all that money but technically he would be a rich turtle as well so he tours he's very successful and i guess in the end was considered a much better speaker than annie taylor Last person I want to mention is a fellow named Red Hill Jr. The year is 1951. Now the reason why he stands out is because he is the son of who was considered the most famous riverman in Niagara Falls history. If you don't know what a riverman is, he's a man who would watch over the river especially in the times before there was you know safety standards and machinery that could go down and easily get people. Uh, it was people it was men like, like Red Senior, who would have to go down and save folks who f- mistakenly fell over the side, mistakenly or purposely, however it might be. So he was credited, Red Senior was, for saving so many lives. But he was also, unfortunately, his other duty was corpse retrieval. And many people have had accidents at the falls, uh, suicides at the falls, and the the belief is that red senior over the course of his career as decades has retrieved around 200 bodies from the niagara river which is very unforgiven from the rapids at the top to the rapids at the bottom before it leads out to lake ontario if you don't know where niagara on the lake is that's where the mouth of the niagara river is it goes into lake ontario so you can imagine red hill jr ...would have to grow up in the massive shadow of his father. This most likely is the reason why he would strike out as kind of a daredevil. You know, always trying to be in the public eye and doing things to get attention. And it was on August, August 5th, 1951... ...that Red Hill Jr. uh, went out on a third and final attempt to tame the falls. So there was two other attempts before that that he survived... The first one being in 1945 now this wasn't going over the Falls this was to go against what was called the uh, Great Rapids I believe this is where the Whirlpool Rapids are today and he had a steel barrel so a very powerful thing 200,000 people lined the Niagara River to watch this and I guess the goal was to survive the Rapids eventually end up in Queenston where his father Red Hill senior was buried Uh, So it was like to gain attention, but to also honor his father. And it was fine. He hit the rapids. I I believe the barrel might have been pulled under for a bit. It comes up. Uh, His his brothers went out to make sure he was okay. Complained of dizziness, but he was motivated. So he, he continued on. So it was only three years after that, that he makes his second trip. And I was wrong originally. So the, the the two before had nothing to do with the falls. Both of the times it was to go through the whirlpool rapids. So this is what I guess people wanted to see. So this time he has a barrel weighs about a thousand pounds, a thousand pound steel contraption. Uh, 1948. He takes it through the rapids. He's pulled completely underneath, and supposedly the the whirlpool as well spun him uh, very much. But again, they found him. Everything was fine, and he was okay. But he always felt it as a failure. I mean, he conquered the Whirlpool Rapids a couple times, but he had never conquered the most dangerous part of Niagara Falls, and that's the falls themselves. So fast forward to August 5th, 1951. Now, unfortunately, I don't know why, but he didn't have a lot of funds. Maybe people were tired of him trying to do that. I I don't know. I, I thought it would, or the authorities, you know, stopped him from having a big crowd. There wasn't a lot of support. So unfortunately, he had to construct a cheap barrel. It was called The Thing, and it consisted of 13 heavy-duty inner tubes lashed together by 8-centimeter-wide canvas webbing, which obviously is not going to work just, just thinking about it. Uh, they were all engaged in uh, gauge fission netting, and he painted it silver and put, actually put the words The Thing on the tube. So it was around one thirty p.m. This was August fifth, again, nineteen fifty-one. That from an area called Ushers Creek. This is about three point two kilometers from the Horseshoe Falls. Around three thirty p.m., the tube with Red Hill Jr. inside rode to the upper rapids over the falls. The thi- thing caught under extreme pressure, the falling water, and as it was coming down, I guess all of that. <laughs> netting and and wire which is not very strong came apart so the tubes fall apart but there's no sign of red uh, and his his mother his wife and 10 year old daughter uh, there's the silence was uh, that was deafening and just they were the ones who broke the silence screaming uh, for red you know to find him and it was red's brothers major norman and wesley who went out to search for him at this point they just assume he's dead because when the tube comes apart, there's no protection. There's nothing to stop him from hitting the rocks and getting pelted by the water. So they were searching for his body at this point. So it was the next morning, it took the entire night. Uh, they found the battered body of William Red Hill Jr. It uh, was drifting near the Mate of the Mist dock. This is on the American side. Uh, the lower part of his body was badly mangled, and his forehead had a large laceration, so it cut across. And he was buried the following thursday at fairview cemetery in niagara falls and because of the public nature of the death of red hill jr and the fact that his father was so well respected before that you know it's like they failed the hill family is the authorities came together after this and the public outcry that was also included uh, resulted in the then ontario premier a person named leslie frost To issue a special order especially the niagara parks commission to arrest anyone immediately if they were to even be caught uh, trying to stunt they call this stunting upon the niagara river or niagara falls so since then no permission has been granted to allow anybody to go over the falls there was though I don't know if you guys know this as a final note before I end the show. Uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a high wire act that happened at the Falls. A famous fellow, famous acrobat named Nick Walenda. This was back, I believe, in 2012. He, they set up a tightrope. So I assume, I guess this article that I was getting my information from is not fully updated, that th- this would have been authorized. But then, like the, being a Willenda being an acrobat, they're not supposed to have any safeties because the danger of them potentially falling and dying is all part of the act. And being raised in acrobat family, this was kind of a respect thing for him. So originally, Willenda, he didn't want to have a harness. He didn't want to have something that would stop him from falling if by chance he did fall off the wire. But I don't think it was the falls. I think it was NBC, whatever station aired it. They were the ones who forced him to wear a safety rope so that if he fell, he, he would live. It kind of takes the danger away, but I mean, nobody wants a guy dying, right? It's still interesting to watch it happen. I wouldn't personally try it. So the fact that he did it, and even if he hadn't, didn't have the wire, obviously he didn't fall, he was fine. He would have been fine either way because this guy's a professional, but I assume they authorized that. So uh, to say that they didn't allow anything is not fully true, but in this case, it wasn't going over the falls, it was going across the falls. Now as a little side note, the Hill family, after this was kind of a shot to their reputation, it is said that the Hill family swore that one day, one of their kin would eventually conquer the falls, going over the side and surviving it, but this is yet to happen. If it would, it would have to be, I assume, unofficial. Anyway, that's the show, everyone. Again, Facebook discussion group is going. I I want people to come in. I want to tell tell their stories, their opinions on the show, things that I talk about. If you have something to add to it, maybe a correction, anything. Criticism, I'm open to that too. Uh, Just search GG Daniel Podcast, and it will pop up. Join the group. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next week.